0: well good evening it's time for us to start our evening worship we are so glad you could be with us we've had a good day today it's always a good day to come together and worship god it's always a good day to remind ourselves of what jesus has done for us and we're so thankful we could have done that, and we're going to continue with that this evening. Tonight, we're honored to have Zach Dinsford preach for us this evening. Uh, we're just getting a lot of our young guys up here, and they're getting up here on a regular basis, which is really good. They're getting them in a groove, and they're developing each time. We're seeing great improvement in these young men that are preaching, and that is so important. I've been to so many places that. Uh, nobody will hardly do anything. So it's a compliment to them, it's a compliment to this congregation that we're using them and they're helping us and they're looking to the future. And I think that's just a a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we're so delighted to be able to have him with us this evening as he's going to preach to us. In Psalms chapter 46, we read that this morning for our uh, Psalms of the day, and I want to pull back one verse from Psalms 46 and then just kind of set our mind for worship and then we'll... Start with our singing this evening. But in Psalms 46, verse 10, it says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Other translations just use the expression, be still. And I think as parents sometimes we just say, hush. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we just need to hush from what the world's saying, from what the news is saying, what's on social media. Just put it out. And know that I am God. And what we know about God is he's good. And what we know about God is he loves you. And what we know about God is that he wants you to follow him all the way to heaven. So what a great expression just to be still, cease striving, and know that I'm God. Let's now worship our Lord.
1: Don't oh, be sorry.
2: We thank you that we can rely on you, that we can trust in you, Lord. We pray that when there's a tempest in our soul, Lord, that we know that we can be still, that we can rely on you, Lord, because we know that you are God. We thank you for that blessing, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have now to worship you. We pray that it stills our soul, Lord, that the worries and the burdens of the world just go away, Lord, knowing that we can worship you, that we can praise you, and that we can lift our voices to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all of this, and it's in your sins that we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand for this song.
0: If we sing this song, Brother Zach Densford will be bringing us our lesson from God's Word this evening.
3: <clears throat> <clears throat> Do me so-
2: Good evening. Good evening to each and every one of you. I want to again welcome those of you who are, are joining us here tonight. Certainly an encouragement to see each and every one of you. Hope that you had a good uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, so, certainly hope you found some some way to enjoy the, the beautiful sunshine that we had today. And I certainly hope that our time together uh, this evening will be an encouragement to you uh, in some way as we begin this new week. It's a busy week for us here, so certainly hope that we can can start it off on the right foot with our brief time uh, together here tonight. You know, I've learned over the past handful of years that maybe I'm not the best uh, communicator that there is. I've learned that through various interactions. My mother, from time to time, will like to remind me that I'm not always uh, great at communicating what's on my mind or what's on my heart there. Sometimes when I find myself in the midst of, of telling a story to my sister, my sister will give me sort of the wrap it up. I'm losing interest quick, sort of. You better figure out where this is going because you've lost my interest note. So I certainly hope none of you feel that way tonight. None of you uh, are are able to to flash that that signal to me. If you do, I'll I'll know to to quickly change course. So I figured what better way to, to make sure that there is no problem in communication, no no missing communication, than to find a story, to find examples, to find lessons that are so simple that whether you are 8 or 88, uh, you'd be able to understand. And so that's where we're going to be tonight, uh, looking at some lessons from Luke 19. And so when you think of lessons that, that young kids and, and older adults are both able to know and both able to understand. One of the first stories that, that came to my mind, perhaps it's because we've got a, an eye to the week ahead that our, our children are going to be looking at the trees of the Bible uh, next week at, at VBS. But Luke 19 is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And so Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus is where we're going to be, be taking our, our, these simple lessons, these simple concepts, these simple ideas uh, for us tonight, and, and put those in, into practice, and, and see what we can can take away from that. I know sometimes we we think of Zacchaeus. We hear Zacchaeus, and the the children, I'm sure, can can sing you the songs and tell you about Zacchaeus. But about the time you get to that that second, third, fourth, fifth grade, sometimes we put Zacchaeus back on the the, the Bible class bookshelf, and oh, that's just a kid's story. We don't need to to learn much from them. We don't need to pay much more attention than. He's just uh, used in kids' song. But I think there's a a whole lot of of fascinating things about the story of Zacchaeus. Simple, again, simple lessons that that we can take, that we can adapt and adopt into our lives as we start this new week. So read with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 19. Those first 10 verses are the only 10 verses we get about Zacchaeus and his life. I'll be reading tonight from the ESV. And I don't know about you, but I like looking at those headers sometimes of the Bible. And the header for, for Luke 19 here in the ESV is simply Jesus and Zacchaeus. And I love the succinctness of that and the succinctness of the the ten verses that, that we have that we're about to read together. So read with me if you would in Luke 19, starting in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. to the Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to the house, since to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of man came to seek and save the lost." Such a simple story, such a simple uh, ten verses that we are reminded of here, first verses one and two of Luke nineteen give us the context that, that we need before we we get into looking at these simple lessons from luke nineteen Luke nineteen verse one starts with Jesus entering Jericho. He is on his his final journey, if you will, a few verses later in, in chapter nineteen is uh, Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last time with those, those palm branches. So if you're familiar with that, he is making this stop before this important week, this, uh, this week of his life that has that given so much attention to us to the, by the world nowadays. This, he stops in Jericho before he, he makes that entry, and I think that, that is purposeful, and I don't think this is just merely filler to, to tell us what he was doing and part of this journey. Again, I think there's some simple lessons that, that we can take out of this. So Jesus entering Jericho on this, this final jersey, right, journey right before he, he takes this, this last important entry into Jerusalem for the final time. But then we have information about Zacchaeus. We get the context about him. We're told three things about him. One you most certainly probably are already familiar with this evening, especially if you were a kid in one of our children's classes. He was short in stature, was not a very tall man. We're not going to pay too much attention to, to that fact about him tonight, but of course you want to, to make sure to note it. The The other two things that we are told there in, in verse 2, when we are introduced to this man Zacchaeus, is that he was a chief tax collector. Your version may say he was a chief toll collector. He was a, a publican. Jesus certainly, one of the twelve that, that Jesus called uh, to be his apostles. One of those 12 was a tax collector, certainly familiar with tax collectors. We don't know exactly how Zacchaeus became uh, familiar or introduced to to this idea of Jesus. Perhaps it was through uh, that that publican apostle who they could share some familiarities of of their line of work. I'm not exactly certain, not exactly certain that that it matters, but the, the We are told there that he is a chief tax collector. As far as we can tell, this role of chief tax collector, chief toll collector, is the only uh, definition, the only title that we are given in in the New Testament of somebody who has that role of being chief. Not just a, a tax collector, but he is the chief of tax collectors for this city of Jericho. Jericho, you're familiar with, in the Old Testament, was that city that, again, the kids can tell you, they marched around seven times, the walls came down, New Testament Jericho is an important economic hub. It's located along an important trade route. And so New Testament Jericho is a place of such wealth, such importance to, to that region. So when we are told that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, the chief toll collector for those who are entering into this important city, much like Jesus was as he is entering in on this uh, soon-to-be final week of, of his life on earth, I think there's some importance, some, some takeaways that we need to have for that, some focus that maybe we need to, to give to that. That second fact that we are told there in verse 2 about Zacchaeus is that he was rich. He was a wealthy man. So he was a, not just a man who had a high-ranking government position, but he was a man of wealth. And so when you know that, when you understand that, when you fixate your eyes on that in verse 2, verse 3, that that might pose a, a bit of a juxtaposition for you. Because you have this rich tax collector, this chief tax collector, who has all this wealth, is working and living in this important uh, trade hub of the region at the time, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now that should set off a a red light, uh, a flashing light in some ways. What does this rich tax collector, what does this wealthy man, why is he interested in, in any way with this poor preacher from Nazareth? Right? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Uh, you hear, uh, you read about people saying at the time. So, what is it about this Jesus that, that, that Zacchaeus was, was seeking to know? And I don't know about you, but when, when we think, when we are trying to, to gain more information about somebody, when we are trying to, to understand or learn about somebody that we are unfamiliar with, the conversations that we have maybe with ourselves or, uh, or, or with somebody else, we for some reason always want to know. Who the people are, what they do, what their role is, and then for some reason we are drawn to, to stories. We want some sort, of, some sort of proof, some sort of evidence that, that, that verifies that they are who, who they say they are. So for our purposes tonight, we're going to sum those up into to three simple points. When Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, he wanted to know who he is, what he does. And then he wanted to know that proof. And for our purposes, again, we're going to look at how he loves. So those are the, the three questions that, that come to mind. And again, I mentioned that we sometimes do this in our lives. You may think if you're telling somebody, uh, telling a family member about, you've you got a good friend named Jeff. Jeff is an unbelievable woodworker. You can tell him, or you may, your, your grandmother may ask, you know, who, who who is this, who is this guy that, you, that you're talking about? Who is Jeff? I'm not familiar with Jeff. And you can say, oh, Jeff has been friends with him for a while. He's been a good woodworker. He's made tables. He's made picture frames. He does a whole lot of wood carving stuff for the last 20 years or so. He's got a lot of experience. And they say, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with Jeff. And then that Story, that evidence, that proof that we sometimes pull out'll we'll say oh you 've been, you've been to my house you 've seen the the picture frame near the the kitchen table that's Jeff made that frame for us, and so we, we for some reason like to, to have that evidence to be able to see that proof, and I, I hope with our, our time together here this evening we 'll be able to see that what, what Zacchaeus was looking for when he was seeking to see who Jesus was, Jesus answers these these questions and more for us. We have a bit more uh, a bit more abundance of of resources than Zacchaeus was given at the time. We're not exactly certain what all Zacchaeus had heard, what all he knew about this Jesus, but here in in extrapolate this concept, this idea of of seeking to see who Jesus was out from Jericho uh, a week before Jesus died on the cross and put this concept, this idea into southern Indiana here in, in 2022, we have Been given a clear picture of exactly who this Jesus is, what he does, and how this Jesus loves. And Jesus has made it so crystal clear, so perfectly clear for us to be able to see that when we are looking to him, when we are seeking to see who Jesus is, we can see his identity. We know exactly who he is. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, if you'd like to, to turn there and follow along. These these next few verses, snippets of them will be up on the screen, but not the, the full context. So I'd encourage you to, to read along if you can in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, shows us that that this part of, part of this clear identity that we are, are given. Luke 3, if you want to look at the actual human genealogy of Jesus, you can do that. But the identity of who this Jesus is, that when we are looking to Him, that, that we can see Him and, and who He is, is clearly shown. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature." And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God. We don't use that term radiant too often. Sometimes we we do it when when speaking of, of somebody or oh she is radiant, she is glowing. There is something so significant. About her, or you see a, a flower and the flower is blooming in early spring, and there's a, a radiance, there's a special something that draws you to that. So, when we are told that Jesus is not just the radiance of God's glory, this significance, we are we are seeing that light, we are able to be shown that light, that we are, we are looking to Him, we see and can see God's glory. We are also told that Jesus is the exact imprint of His nature. And so when we, again, are, are looking at Jesus, seeking to see who this Jesus is, Jesus has made it abundantly clear for those who are looking to him what his identity is. Secondly, we know what he is able to do. We know his ability. We know what, what he was called and, and brought to do. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7 talks about this, this concept of God is love. And we've looked at that in our high school class in building blocks for the, uh, a couple months ago. And this is where one of these concepts really really came about, this idea of looking at, at God's identity being, being clearly shown, at what He's able to do and what He's able to, to accomplish and what He was sent to do is clearly shown. So 1 John chapter 4. Be with me if you would in verses 9 and part of verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and part of verse 10. It said, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And the latter part of, of verse 10 there says, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Another term we don't use too often, propitiation. If you are in our Sunday building blocks class looking through the Old Testament searching for a king you would have been familiarized with in the last couple weeks that propitiation is the New Testament buddy word for the Old Testament's atonement those two sort of go hand in hand together so this nature when we're trying to find out when we are looking to Jesus to see who he is what his identity is and what he's able to do and what he was brought to do we can know by looking and reading through the scriptures like like in first John here that God sent Jesus, His Son, to be the propitiation of our sin, for our sins. We have been separated to atone for, for our separations. We have been separated from God, from His nature, because of our sins, because of our choices, because of our poor decisions. And it is Jesus, and He is the one, He is the way that, that we get reunited, that we are brought back together in, in harmony, that we can even approach His holiness. The radiance of His glory is through Jesus. So when we are looking to see who Jesus was, we have our eyes open, fixated, looking to Jesus, we can clearly see his identity, we can clearly see his ability, and we can clearly see his love. I love that that's where Zacchaeus ends, Luke chapter 19, because I think that's a perfect way to, to sum up that story. You don't have to you can certainly look at, at a whole bunch of different places within the, the New Testament. And you can see stories of, 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 again, like Luke chapter 3, where, where you can look at his, his genealogy of, of who he was as a man and, and the actual where he came from. But when we are told that he is the exact imprint of his nature, you can read throughout the Gospel of, of Luke, throughout the rest of the Gospels, of all the different things that Jesus does. Not just was he sent to be the, the propitiation of our sins, to reunite us with God, to, to bring us back in, into that relationship that we can approach him. But you can look in, verse, in, in, in chapters like Luke 5, where he is healing, right? Where he is, is listening, where he is caring for others. Those are, are some of the things that, that, that he is able to do. He is clearly illustrating for those who are looking at him, looking to him, clearly showing them his love. And Luke chapter, 10, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, "...for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." Right? He didn't come to, to seek and save those who have a, a high-ranking government position, didn't come to, to seek and save those who have this abundance of wealth. He came to seek and save those who are lost, those who have been separated from sin. So when we look to Jesus, when our eyes are focused on Jesus, we can clearly see without any shadow of a doubt. We can see his identity. We can see his ability. We can see his love. So when you read on and you see that that Zacchaeus in verse verse 3 of chapter 19 of Luke, that this rich tax collector, this chief tax collector who had all this wealth, was paying attention to this poor preacher from Nazareth. And we read that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You continue that verse. And you see that on account of the crowd, he could not. And again, I want to take out this verse from the context of around this sycamore tree in Jericho and and bring it to to southern Indiana here in in June of of 2022. We certainly can identify and and find and, and know for ourselves what it feels like to be in the midst of crowds. I don't know about you, I don't like crowds. Too much, whether you're coming to a, a, a sporting event, going from a sporting event, you're at the movie theater, used to be at a restaurant sometimes when you were packed in a little tightly. There's something that's just, just unnerving about being so just, just tied up in a crowd with people on top of you. And I think the thing about crowds is that these massive crowds, what seemed like a, such a simple idea, such a simple premise of, oh, I've got to get from my car to my seat so I can watch the game or I've got to get from my seat to the concession stand because I'm hungry, or fill in the blank, whatever that simple A to B step is, crowds make that simple getting from A to B a whole lot difficult because they seem to, to distract us in so many different ways. And I know that, that we fit in in many ways like, we're, we're swimming upstream sometimes to, to get to, to your seat at, the, at that baseball game so you can, can see the first pitch. Or when you order to, to get to the concession stand, it feels like you are just fighting everybody who's going one way. You're trying to, to go another. So crowds, a lot of times, aren't conducive from getting and seeing point A to, to point B very clearly. There's a whole lot of distractions, a whole lot of noise, a whole lot going on in crowds sometimes. And I know we know that to be true in, in our lives today with... With the culture that we have around us, the different causes that are being championed and, and forced uh, and thrown everywhere that this is where the crowd's at folks this is what this is what everybody's believing right if you don't this is you, you can pay attention to your, your silly your silly little book of old stories, but this is where, this is where people are at today times have changed this cause is, this is where everybody's at this is where the crowd this is where the direction is, is headed, and sometimes you feel like you're you're swimming upstream. There are different issues and policy issues at the time that, that are decided or in one way or one shape or form or another. And sometimes the crowds don't like those decisions. And so they get riled up and it gets a little noisy and the, the temperature in the room seems to, to rise a bit. We know what it feels like to, to have that, that crowd of in some ways of, of a self-centered culture of everything's focused about me. I want what I want when I want it. You can't tell me I can't have it because I want it it's It's all about me. what I want I get uh, I can't believe that that I'd have to wait an extra three minutes to do this, or I can't believe that that gas is this high of, of price i I want this that my this this culture that that's centered that 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 you are right, that everything is centered around the individual and how an individual feels and Everything should be about me, not about you. I shouldn't have to respect authority because I don't respect or I don't agree with your decision, and so I should live and act in the way that that I want. We certainly can identify the loudness in some ways, the distracting nature of crowds in in that sense. Because crowds, when when they're like that, they not just weigh people down, make it difficult to, to see and get from point A to point B, but they distract others from seeing that simple concept of getting from point A to point B. They distract you from seeing what is clearly shown and clearly given to you. And so sometimes it's very easy to, to understand that in, in terms of the culture and the world that, around us. Sometimes it's harder to see that, that we are the ones who are being that distraction, that we are that one who is preventing others from, from seeing that we might be like that crowd in the story of Zacchaeus who is preventing somebody who is earnestly trying to find out who this Jesus is, what he does and how this Jesus loves. And it's us who is being and causing this distraction by what we say, what we do, who we're hanging out with, where we are going, what we are posting or commenting on on Facebook. There is a whole lot of things that that we can be doing that we are doing in some cases. That is hindering folks, that is hindering people who are, are trying to see Jesus, to put their eyes on Jesus, but we are getting in the way of them. We are being that distraction in the crowd. So I'd ask you tonight, are you perhaps a reason that, that others aren't seeing Jesus clearly? Again, we know that Jesus has clearly shown who he is, what he does, and how he loves but sometimes the crowd gets in the way of, of you being able to, to see that. And I've been sort of fixated on this concept for the last few weeks since the, the seed was planted in one of our, our building blocks classes here in Luke 19. Because we are told that Zacchaeus in, in, chap, in verse 3 was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not. Verse 4 says, He ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And then verse 7 is that particular verse that I have just been sort of focused on the the front of my mind when when thinking about this story of of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is, again, seeking to see who this Jesus is. This Jesus that has been clearly made known to you and me of who He is, what He does, how He loves. Verse 7 tells us that when they saw it, when they saw this Jesus, invite Himself, and be kind to Zacchaeus who had climbed up on a tree... When they saw it, they all grumbled. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's such thing as quiet grumbling. Quiet grumbling don't, don't exactly go hand in hand. When you think of grumbling, you may think of it like me, of a, a mom or a dad leaving church or leaving school, and they're driving home uh, one night, and a kid in the back seat says, hey, can we get, can we get McDonald's for dinner? And... The parent says, no, we've got, we've got food at home. We don't need to get McDonald's. And that kid gets a little upset that they're not getting the McDonald's dinner because that's what they want. So rather than, than be quiet and, and, and well-behaved in the back seat, they start kicking. They start screaming. They start complaining. And what seemed like a simple A to B drive home from church back home the driver is now distracted because I've got a kid who is throwing an absolute tantrum in the back seat, and my eyes have got to be taken off the road because i got to deal with what it is that's going on back there, right? This concept of grumbling we, in many ways, can, can relate ourselves to. Certainly that crowd, you can in some ways understand why they are grumbling that, that Jesus didn't match their level of, of animosity towards Zacchaeus, you know. We are told that he is rich and that he has this high ranking position, but I can guarantee you a lot of those members in the crowd when Jesus rather than rebuke him from for climbing up in that tree rather than rebuke him for 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 whatever their their reason that they were thinking Jesus should have handled it, they were upset that Jesus invited him, that Jesus was calm, was gentle. He didn't match their level of, of anger, of, of animosity. Because remember, he's a tax collector, a chief tax collector, a, a, toll, a poll collector. He is, in their perception, the reason he's rich is because he's got all my money. He's took your money. He's took this guy's money. That's why this guy... Zacchaeus is not very well valued in some ways in, in that community by this crowd that, that has gathered. So Luke nineteen seven. And when they saw it, they grumbled. I think there is something so profound for Zacchaeus in this verse, and in this full story, this full context, that in the midst of this loud grumbling, this crowd that is weighing him down, that is preventing him from seeing who this Jesus is, that is so loud, that is so noisy, in just this simple invitation that Jesus gave him, in verse 5, I know sometimes in the, the kids' class, the way they sing the song, when, when Jesus points his finger, you make it, it makes it sound like Jesus is telling him, you get down from that tree, Zacchaeus. Like, what, what are you doing? But I think the clearer picture that we are given in this story is not that Jesus is, is matching that level of, of volume of anger, of animosity of this, this crowd, this crowd that is grumbling, that is upset, that is angry with how Jesus handled the situation. But rather, in the midst of this loud and grumbling crowd, Jesus gives Zacchaeus a gentle and soft invitation. Right, And it is in this invitation when Zacchaeus has climbed up in this tree to clearly see above the crowd who this Jesus was. In this simple interaction that Zacchaeus has with with Jesus, Zacchaeus is clearly able to see who he is, what Jesus does, and how Jesus loves. There is a popular writer or author in in Christian religious book circles who sometimes has a a phrase that I kind of like that he he uses from, from time and time again. And that simple phrase is that the Lord is loudest when he whispers. And I think there's something so profound about this juxtaposition in the story of Zacchaeus that in the midst of this crowd that is grumbling, that is angry, that is preventing him who is earnestly seeking to see who Jesus was, that Jesus is telling him and inviting him with a gentle whisper who he is, what he does, and how he loves. And so for us, again, I mentioned that sometimes we are that distraction in the crowd. Or some ways we can be that distraction in the crowd that is preventing others like Zacchaeus, who is earnestly seeking to, to see who Jesus is, what he does, and how he loves. So I got three simple takeaways, three simple actions, three simple things that we can do this week in order for us to, to make sure that we are not being part of that crowd, preventing somebody else from seeing or preventing ourselves from seeing who Jesus is. There are three simple steps. That first step is no. Right? Know your identity. It is more than a role. It is more than a position. Right? The story of Zacchaeus tells us that. Zacchaeus did not have this interaction with Jesus. Jesus didn't come to see Zacchaeus because he was a, a high ranking official, didn't come to see Zacchaeus because he had all this wealth that has nothing to do with his role or, or his occupation. Right? Knowing your identity you know in a world that has so many different definitions of, of what you believe a crowd of so many different things who is telling you who you ought to be who you should be you got to listen to these people don't listen to these people this is the way you should should be living right that crowd you're swimming upstream in some ways knowing your identity is so important so when we are told that Jesus when we are looking to Jesus when our eyes are on Jesus and we are told that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God, we for ourselves, we for our understanding, should also f- understand that we are all created in the image of God. Right? We, that is where our value lies. Our value does not lie on what the crowd around us thinks of us, thinks of, us of, of what the crowd around us is, is telling us our value is. Knowing our identity. And at some point in the last quarter century that I've been alive, our culture has somehow, in some way, uh, equalized knowing and feeling. And I'm not quite exactly sure where they've come across that or how that permeated the, the popular culture, but, but knowing is a whole lot different than feeling, right? Feeling is so circumstantial. I'm not, we're not feeling like we're in a, a, a child of God. We're not feeling like we have this relationship. We are told to know that... We are created in His image. Right? Where we started this morning Services is where we started this evening Services in Psalm 46. Be still and know. There's something important about that knowledge, about that, that level of, of understanding that I think we need to, to, to see. So when we are seeking to see, when others are seeking to see who Jesus is through our life, through our action, how I can see Jesus through how I live and my choices... The first step is knowing your identity. God has made clear His identity to us. We need to make it clear to Him and others that we know our identity as well. That second step is see. Seeing your opportunities. Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 3, as we've read, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd He could not because he was small in stature. Verse 4 tells us that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. He ran and he climbed. Right, That was the opportunity in front of Zacchaeus in order for him to elevate himself above that crowd who was preventing him from seeing clearly who this Jesus was. He ran and he climbed. So for lack of a better illustration, lack of a better way to, to, to put things uh, in, in wording, who can we run to this week to help? Who can we go to and, and see to, to help? Where is the opportunity that we can, can run to and, and around us? Who can we climb and use as, as help that can aid us in our journey? That maybe they have some level of resources, some level of stability, who can, can we use their, their level of help, their level of hope to, to raise ourselves up, to climb upon their shoulders and see who this, this Jesus is. That sycamore tree also, I think, paints a, a, an interesting idea for us. And for lack of a, a better word, that sycamore tree is so vital to this story because it's that tree that allows Zacchaeus to see who this Jesus was. So again, for lack of a better phrase this evening, who can we lift up this week in order to help see Jesus? There's a whole lot of places we can go. We're going to interact with a whole lot of a different folks. You can go anywhere in this country, anywhere in this world, and find somebody who needs to see Jesus, needs to know the story of Jesus, needs to, to understand and see Jesus clearly in a way that, that they maybe haven't, certainly. So we'd certainly encourage you to, to take advantage of those opportunities But I can promise you with 100% certainty there are people in the pew next to you, in the pew in front of you, in the booth up there, in the pulpit up here, people who have led songs today that could use your help too, that could use your prayers also. Opportunity is not just found in in a foreign country or in a a different state or in a different place. There is opportunity here amongst our own church family. So many people in need of your prayers. So many ways that, that you can lend a helping hand, that you can, can give support, that you can run to, to help. And I would be remiss if I didn't use this as a, a bit of a reminder or a bit of an ask for a few members of the audience who are organizing and, and working on our VBS uh, preparations for this upcoming week, this weekend. So if you would certainly be willing to, to help out, to lend a helping hand in some way to aid them in that, they would certainly uh, appreciate uh, your service there. So when those are looking to see Jesus, when we are living in a way that is looking to Jesus so that those can see who Jesus was, so that I can see who Jesus was in my own life, I first have to know my identity. I have to see my opportunity. And thirdly, I have to show my heart. Right? It's one thing to know something, to understand a concept, to be familiar with with a thing, it's another to start thinking about it and see the different areas of, of, of ways that you can help and start thinking, okay, I could do this, or okay, I could, could go here and, and, and do that. It's a whole other thing in its entirety to act upon that, to show somebody, to, to show them that proof that we talked about earlier with, with that story. We want to we see that proof. We want to see that, that actual desire. And I think the, the fascinating thing here about Zacchaeus in Luke 19 is that Zacchaeus, at the end of it, we see and you can see a a changed heart. Zacchaeus was willing to to show Jesus his heart there in in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it. Fourfold. Wasn't asked to do that, was willing to do that. He's changed, his heart has changed that he was is that willingness for him to to see. So again, for those who are are seeking to see who Jesus was, like Zacchaeus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Ways that we can can lift ourselves up, that we can lift others up to elevate ourselves above this this noisy crowd, this loud crowd, this grumbling crowd with a gentle whisper to see who Jesus was. We gently whisper that invitation to to others, to so many, when we know our identity, when we see our opportunity, and when we show our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. First Samuel 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I think that's a perfect way for us to, to end our, our time together and study this evening. For us to be able to, to show our hearts, not just to, to those in the world around us in a crowd that is so noisy, so loud, so pushing you in opposite directions from where you are intending or desiring to go, but when we know, we see, and we show simple concepts, simple things that we can communicate with ourselves, with others, that we can show Jesus, that we can show God our, our true hearts, our true self. One perfect way to, to do that, the only way to do that, to, to enter into that relationship with Him is through the waters of baptism. So if anybody would, would like to be baptized this evening, we've got water ready. If you're in need of, of prayers in any way, you maybe haven't taken advantage of, of some of the opportunities, or you've mistaken who your, your identity is, you've misidentified who you need to be relying on in some way, and you need to, to, to make up for that, or you'd like to, to, to get some help in that area. We've got plenty here who are ready to pray for you, ready to help you. So we can aid you or assist you in any way. We ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing. There's a
1: you're here this evening and have not had the opportunity to partake the Lord's Supper, we give you that opportunity now. If you need one of the packets, they're in the back there in our entryway. John, the third chapter, the first part of that chapter, is a conversation with a man that comes to Jesus by night by the name of Nicodemus. And therein has, within his context, the likely most noble and understandable, we think, verse in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's thought to be the most understood, but perhaps is misunderstood or the thought to have no condemnation within it. But as Jesus goes on, he says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not con- con- condemned, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, the condemnation doesn't come from God because of the fact that one has done the wrong thing, although sin is certainly what condemns us, but it's because He has sent the propitiation or the sacrifice for that sin and has condemned that individual because he does not believe. In the one that's been sent. So verses 19 and 20, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does not, does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We don't like the light when we know we're doing what's wrong, and that's the condemnation that comes. We know that what we're doing is not right When we learn, if we have not known previously, that that's not the right to be done or that's not the right thing to be doing with our lives, we don't like to come to that admission and acknowledgement. But if you as a Christian have recognized that, and you've said, I know that the life I've lived previously is in sin and I don't wish to live that way anymore, I'm one who is following Christ, you have the opportunity this day, we have the opportunity to remember and to memorialize the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He's given his body as a sacrifice. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are so thankful for your grace and for your mercy and for the willingness of the Son to come and to offer his body to sacrifice himself for our sins. Help us to recognize that we need to acknowledge ourselves as those who have fallen and those who continue to need your grace and continue to need to recognize and to cry out to you for The salvation that is in Jesus. Help us to come to that light. Help us to remember that each and every Lord's Day as we partake of the bread that represents that body that's been given for me, that's been given for us to have that sanctification and that cleansing from our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the fruit of the vine as well that's offered so that we might be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ of which it is representative. Verse 21 actually goes on and says, But whoever does, does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The condemnation that comes is because of sin, of my sin, and it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses me of that sin. And when I realize that, and I see the truth in that, I come to the light realizing that that light bears out what my life needs to be. It needs to be a light in this world, and it needs to be a light that shows that I'm doing the works that I'm carrying out and living out in my almighty God. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice and the shedding of your blood We're thankful for that willingness and that desire to cleanse us from our sins, to enable us the opportunity to come in the waters of baptism, as Paul speaks of, to come in contact with that blood that cleanses us of all our sins. Help us realize that each day that we can come to you and pray and ask for that cleansing once again, that each Lord's Day that we can come together and we can remember that blood that was shed on the cross. And help us to remember that at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There's the opportunity as well for each of us on this day to give back to God, to offer a return of the things that he has provided for us. And you have the bowls that are in the back there. If you'd like to make your giving placed in there, you have that opportunity today. Let's remember and thank God for those provisions. Thank you, Father, so much for providing for us beyond the needs that we have. We so often think that we need so much more and forget about all the good things that we have enjoyed and all the good things that you have provided for us. Help us to realize that the need is for us to worship you in this giving, to recognize that we're giving you of the first things in our life, the first fruits of the giving that you've given to us in our lives and help us to put those things at the top of our minds and the top of our hearts and the top of our budgets as we give back to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Until
0: we sing this song, we'll have our closing prayer. And then following the prayer, we'll have some closing announcements.
3: Do me, so me,
0: us to come out here tonight and study another portion of our word we're very thankful for brother densford and the ability that he has to make your gospel simple we pray father that this week we'll take advantage of the things that he has said that we'll go out and encourage people and uplift people the way that we should we pray father that you'll be with the sick we pray father that you'll be with the people that are hurting somehow and uh, comfort them as only you can. Bring us back the next appointed time. Forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name, amen.